And I want to make an observation about some things in life. You see, in life, there are some things that are but don't look like. There are some things that aren't but look like, and there are some things that look like and are. And I know that right now you're wondering, what in the world could that mean? Here's what I mean by that. There is some things in nature that undergo a metamorphosis. They undergo a change. And what you see over time is more of what that thing is becoming. And so I want to give you an idea of what that means and how that ties into our lives today. And so the first one is this. The first one is, it is, but it doesn't look like. It's the humble frog. So as you think about this idea of a frog, when a frog is born, if it's born, uh, it ends up and it starts off as an egg and then it turns into a tadpole. Now, a tadpole doesn't look much like a frog at all. As a matter of fact, it has gills, so it breathes underwater. It eats algae. It doesn't live or exist outside of land. But as, as it matures, it becomes more of what it is. And so eventually the tail shrinks and it actually becomes and looks like a frog. Now, when it's a tadpole, does it have any less of the character traits or DNA of a frog? No. It is, in fact, in DNA a frog, but it doesn't look like it. You see, there are certain things that are but don't look like it. There are other things that look like it but aren't. As you think about that, there's a bird called the cowbird. And the cowbird does something really interesting. It's actually called a brood parasite. And what it does is it will lay its eggs in other birds' nests. A cuckoo is also known for this. And it will actually lay its egg in another bird's nest. And you don't know that it's not that bird until it matures. So what will happen is it will mature, and over time, it will actually overtake the other babies, the other eggs that are in that nest. And you notice that what happens over time is something that looks like it is actually is not. And so we see something that is but doesn't look like. We see something that looks like but isn't. And then finally, we see in the sequoia something that is and looks like. Believe it or not, this incredible sequoia grows from a, a seed no bigger than the flake of uh, oatmeal. And so when you see this, it's actually really incredible how resilient a sequoia is over time, that it's very resilient to disease. To actually, uh, We actually see that as fires come through, that these seeds are planted in the ash. And what's interesting about a sequoia is it is and it looks like that a seedling looks a lot like a sapling and a sapling looks a lot like an adult. And so I know that you're wondering, well, what does this have to do with our passage today? But today we're talking about this idea how this became that. You see, over time, what we realize is that it's maturity, it's time, it's actually over an extended period of effort that we begin to see the difference between things that simply look like and things that truly are. And that's what Paul is going to talk about in our passage today. But before we get there, I want to give us an overview of the entire book of Colossians, because we want to remember that this book wasn't written as, you know, just kind of these sections that somebody would have given or the sentence somebody would have given somebody. But one of the most important things we can do when we study the Bible is to actually go back to the context because context is everything. So to give you an overview of the book, Paul writes and he opens up with this prayer. And his prayer really is comprised of three different parts. The first part is he says that he wishes that they would grow in knowledge of God. And as they grow in their knowledge of God, he wants them to walk worthy of the gospel. And as they walk worthy of the gospel, what you'll find is they will endure until the end. And so this opening prayer kind of gives this idea of where we're going throughout the book. 
Paul then gives this incredible image of what theologians have called the cosmic Christ. What that means is that Christ is not just somebody who came in human form, but he existed in all times past and created all that is. And so in Colossians, this is actually known as the Colossian hymn. It's actually known to be one of a kind of an older writing. And what we see is that God created all things. Not only did he create all things, but we see in the second half of this that he's the head of the church. And through the church, he's recreating all things to come back into his image. So it's really this incredible picture. I want you to think about Christ as being the greatest and most incredible thing you can think. But he doesn't stop there, you see, because there are some people in the church who have begun to creep in and they begin to say, well, it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus religious experience. It's Jesus plus um, making sure that you live a certain type of lifestyle. It's Jesus plus following the law. And Paul comes back and he says, no, listen, it's not Jesus plus anything. If Jesus is all and in all, then what that means is that it's Jesus plus nothing. And so he reminds us that it's Jesus alone. And then he says this incredible phrase that the Jesus is the fullness in you. That now for those of us who are in Christ, that the fullness dwells inside of us. And because of that, now we live in a different way. And so we list off these vices, these different sins that we uh, sometimes experience before we came to know Jesus. And he says, listen, you can overcome these sins because of the Christ who is in you. And he talks about this new creation that we get to live into, that we are actually being made new through Jesus. And because of that, we can now put on something called virtue. Somebody say virtues. And these virtues are these new ways of living. They're character traits that are positive character traits. And so as we talk into what we're talking about today, the reason why we can live into this new way of life is because ultimately of Jesus, because of how vast and incredible Jesus truly is. And Paul begins to give us this idea of this metamorphosis that is taking place. Metamorphosis means this, a change of the form of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. So you begin to see that there's this change taking place in the people who have come to follow Jesus. And as Paul unpacks this, we begin to see that there are some people that don't maybe look like Jesus on the outside, but on the inside, God is doing a deeper work. There are some people that maybe they look like on the outside, they look like they have it together, they look like they showed up to church, they look like on the outside they have it all right, but on the inside maybe they're not quite as they seem. And then there are others who are growing into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're going to explore today. You see, what the main idea for us today is this, that renewal is obedience because of, not obedience in order to. You see, what happens sometimes is we end up living life, we end up living faith in order to make God happy with us. We end up living and doing these things, trying to put on these virtues and these good character traits in order to make it so God is pleased with us. But what Paul challenges us with is that renewal, this being renewed into a new creation so we look different is not so that God can be pleased with us, but it's because we've actually been made new that we now live in a new way. That's the idea that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 3. Let's go ahead and start in verse 12. And what I would love for us to do is why don't we go ahead and read this along together because we want to remember this was written to the church as a whole, not just to an individual. So here's what Paul says. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, 
bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, oh, there it is, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. How this became that. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack this passage because I think in this passage what we will find is this progression. And the question that we want to keep in mind is where do we fall in the metamorphosis process? Maybe some of us today, maybe it doesn't look like on the outside we're quite as Christian as the people around us. But the truth is on the inside, God is doing a deeper work inside of us to develop us and make us who we are. Maybe some of us, we've come to church and we've said the right words and you know, we've grown up in the church. And the truth is that maybe on the outside, we look like somebody who's a Christian. When, if we're going to be honest on the inside, maybe we haven't quite made that decision yet. Or maybe as we look at the outside, we're continuing to grow into what we actually look like on the inside, like the sequoia. So let's go ahead and dissect this passage. The first part of this verse says this, Therefore, as God's chosen one, somebody say ones, Holy and dearly loved. What I love about this passage is that it's collective. What it doesn't say is as God's chosen and, and dearly one, right? No, no, no. It's God's chosen ones. And the idea of therefore is we want to go back through the beginning and say, okay, what is that therefore, therefore? Well, he's talking about all of this line of thought leading up to this moment where you are being renewed in the image of Jesus. So therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. What I love about this is he's not saying that you, because of what you've done, you're chosen and dearly loved. He didn't say because of something that you are doing in the present, you're chosen and dearly loved. But what he's saying is because of you being chosen and dearly loved, now you're going to begin to live in a new way. That's exactly actually what it was like in the book of Deuteronomy. And here's actually what God says to the Israelites. He has a covenant with them, which is a contract. It's an agreement of relationship. And here's what he says to the Israelites. He says, the Lord had his heart set on you and chose you. And then in verse 11, so keep the command, the statutes and ordinances I'm giving you to follow today. What I want you to notice is that the Israelites did not follow and obey in order to be chosen. But they were chosen and because they were chosen, now they obey because of their chosen place before God. And it's that same way with you and me, that when we obey God, we're not obeying him, trying to be able to get him to love us. No, listen, you're already chosen. You're already loved. I love that it's not about our choosability. What he says in this uh, passage of Deuteronomy is he says, I chose you not because you were more numerous than other people's, for you were the fewest. What that means is he didn't choose somebody based on how awesome they were. He chose them based on just simply his choice. And so we don't got to be awesome. We don't have to try to act like we have it all together. We don't have to show up to church and make it seem like, listen, I got my act together. No, instead, we show up because we've been chosen already. 
The reason why we're loved is not because of our own lovability, but because God who loves us. And so we begin this passage with this understanding that we have already been chosen and holy and loved because we are found in Jesus, not because we're trying to find our way into right relationship with God. And so here's what he says, as a result of being chosen, holy and dearly loved, then he says these words, put on, somebody say put on. Put on. This idea of put on is actually that you would actually robe yourself. You'd actually clothe yourself with Christ. And as you put on these things, you would begin to live in this new way. Now, I think when it comes to our relationship with God, we can fall in one side of either category. So on the one side, what can happen sometimes is that we think, well, it's all God's problem. We begin to say, well, God chose me. And so if God chose me, then it's his fault and his problem of whether or not I end up looking more like Jesus. And it's kind of his responsibility. And so on the one side, we can fall a little bit too far on that side. But on the other side, we can say, well, listen, I need to try to make it so that I am actually putting these things on. I need to make it so that I strive toward these things. But the reality is that there's this partnership between us and God growing us to live into this new way. As I think about that kind of understanding, I think about Holly and I when we got married. I love that we actually have a couple who's getting married this next week. I'm super pumped for y'all that are getting married, right? When you get married, there's something incredible that happens. You actually sign your marriage certificate. And what does that mean? It means that you're married. But I want you to imagine that every time that you wonder and somebody asks Holly, are you married? She just simply pulls out her license or she pulls out her social security card and she points to her last name and she says, well, listen, that's how I know I'm married. You would say, okay, well, technically, yes, you are married that way. Yes, technically. But if she never actually lives into being married, is she really living into that new identity? It's through that new identity that you begin to live into being married so that now we're able to treat each other a certain way. Now we love being together. Now we love encouraging one another. Why? Because out of that new identity, we are now putting on what it looks like to live in marriage. In that same way, we have a new identity of being in Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Now we actually put on this new way of being to show and to see that we actually are different because we're in relationship with Jesus. Here's what one commentator said. He said, the virtues, speaking of the things that we're putting on, are not what create acceptance before God, but the means of revealing the renewed image that God has put within These virtues can also serve to reveal their lack and thus call into question whether one has in fact ever been recreated by God. And so what we do is we come to this and the reason why we begin to live in this new way is not because we have to, but because we want to. And so he begins to say, put on. And what does he say to put on? Five things, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. What's interesting about this is I'm going to put up on the screen that actually just previous, he had put up a list of vices. So sins that you shouldn't live into. And there's a list. So on either side, you see virtue and vice. And on the one side of vice, you see anger And the other side of that is compassion. So anger is kind of this inner, kind of underneath the surface, bubbling up bitterness towards somebody, right? What's the opposite of that but compassion? The interior desire of goodness towards somebody else. And so he says, listen, instead of living into anger, live into compassion. 
And that's exactly what we see from Jesus. The reason why we can live into these is because Jesus, who is the fullness of these, now lives in us. As a matter of fact, here's what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, that mercies word is the same word as compassion, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. What that means is since God is actually the one who has these attributes, and since his fullness lives in us, we can now live in this new way with compassion toward the people around us. I wonder if some of our first responses that we have to the people around us, anger, or some of the, the, the first response, compassion, that we look at the people around us and we actually have a, a burden in our heart for those people. That he says, instead of living in wrath on the one side, live in kindness. Wrath is actually striking out in a moment in anger. It's actually the overflow of a heart of anger that you begin to see that reaction towards somebody else. And he says, no, no, no. Instead of living into that, live into kindness, which is the goodness of God overflowing into action toward the people around you. He says, instead of living into malice, live into humility, that we actually not think less of ourselves, but we actually think about ourselves less and we put other people before us. He says, instead of slander, put on gentleness, that you actually are gentle toward the people around you. And instead of filthy language, put on patience. And it's in this that you begin to see this new way of living. And remember, when he's talking about put on, he's talking about the community, a body of believers. And imagine what it would look like if every time somebody new came into this body of believers, if they left and they said, man, they know what compassion looks like. They know what love looks like. They know what kindness looks like. Imagine if as we left one another that you said, man, I can't help but want to be around each other and come to breakfast with friends because I know that when I show up, there's going to be people who have goodness. And when I show up, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. That's the image that you see of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of being able to watch each one of you serve. That as you serve one another, as Kim brings in food this morning, that she's serving you out of a heart of kindness. As we have people who are serving in our tech team, they're serving you who are watching online out of a heart to be able to see you walk in the goodness of God. And it's the beautiful body of believers coming together that we begin to see the image of God in one another. So therefore, put on. And then he says this, above all, somebody say above all. If you see that word in the Bible, above all, if you see those words, that means like circle what's about to come next because this is important. He says, above all, put on what? Love. Love which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I know that it puts unity in there. In the original Greek, it just would have said, put on the perfect bond. Now, the question is, bond of all of these attributes, like does it, does it bind all of these together or is it the bond of community? And the answer is it's both. You see, I love Forged in Fire. I know that some of y'all know that I love watching that show. Not that I would ever like do it, but I love watching other people do it. Um, and one of the things, one of the techniques that they do is they'll take the two different types of metal and they'll actually sandwich one type of metal between two other types of metal so that it's a little bit softer, a little bit more resilient. That's called the sand mai. And what they need to do is they clean up the pieces of metal, they stick them together, they heat it up in the fire, and they take it to this big press and they press it together. And you can actually begin to see whether or not they got a good bond because in that moment when it's pressed together, you can begin to see if it's a good bond, then it stays together, but it's not bonded well, it will begin to pull apart. 
And isn't it true that it's when things come together under tension, it's when things come under pressure that we begin to see, has this thing really come together with the bond of love? Or maybe are we missing a little bit of the very thing that binds us all together? Can I tell you, if there's a lack of unity, there's a lack of love. As I thought about that this week, I was thinking about so many different people throughout the world that so often we're tempted to lose the bond of unity with because we have a lack of love that we begin to lose the bond of unity because somebody looks different than we do, because somebody believes different than we do. We lose the bond of unity because somebody wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask. And the truth is, when we come together as the body of believers, what we're called to do is we're called to put on love. And what that does is it brings unity. Can I tell you that what's incredible is when we come together and there's unity between us, that that is one of the most incredible things. The world looks into that and they say, how could it be that those people would be united. Why? Because above all, put on love. And then he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. What that means is that as we have Christ inside of us, that we actually have him as our foundation. We have him as the center so that now whatever comes our way, we can live in peace because Christ is at the very center of our life. Can I tell you the truth? The truth is the Bible never promises us that we won't come against difficult things. I would say that even when you're righteous, that's the thing is like the crazy thing. What I love about the Bible is it actually goes deeper than just the surface level. And it asks the question, what about when the righteous suffer? What about those who are Christians, what is happening when that happens? And I would say, read the book of Job, that there are those who are righteous and they still suffer, but it's in those moments that we'll choose the decision to say, am I going to be centered on Christ? And when I'm centered on Christ, I'll be centered on peace. Or am I going to be centered around other things? It's really the very thing that determines when the hard times come, what we're truly centered on. Were we centered on the relationship that we had with the people around us? Were we centered on our finances? Were we centered on that job? Were we centered on anything else but Christ? And what he invites us into is that when we have peace, we, we have Christ. And when we have Christ, we have peace. And it's this beautiful interplay between those two things. And then finally, he says this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. If you think that church is when we show up and we watch this guy preaching and then we go home, we've missed it. Because the point of church is the body of believers gathered together. And can I tell you, you show up with the word of Christ that is dwelt in which richly so that you can teach and admonish one another. That's why I love small groups. That's why I love being able to see individuals lead small groups. This week, Mark is leading a small group with our men's group as we're reading through Malachi. And then Anna is leading a small group as we read through the book of Philippians. We begin to see this reality where we're leading one another in love and you show up teaching and admonishing one another as the church, discipling one another in our faith. So to come full circle, we remember that renewal is obedience because, not obedience in order to. What you'll notice is that you're chosen, and because you're chosen, you live in a new way. That you living in a new way doesn't mean that you are then chosen. And so what I want to encourage us with is that there are three types of metamorphosis. There are three types of change. And I have to ask you the question, as you hear these different things that you put on, which one are you? There are things that it is, but it doesn't look like. It is not, but it does look like, and it is, 
and it does look like. Maybe today some of us can relate with the first one where, you know what, maybe you don't feel like you look a lot like, but you are. I want to encourage you in this moment that maybe you show up and there's still some work that God has to do in your life. Can I tell you, there's a lot of work that God's still got to do in this heart. This past week, I was angry cleaning. Anybody angry clean with me? Anybody show a hands vulnerability, right? And so in that moment, I was thinking, man, I should be happy cleaning right now. I had just got done teaching a lesson about, you know, how we needed to be with other people and how it was the core of our heart and how all of the core of our heart overflows everything else that we're doing. And it was in that moment that I was looking at what I was doing and I was trying to stop angry cleaning, but I couldn't. I was just so mad and I wasn't mad at anything. I was just mad that it was dirty again. And it was in those moments that I got to choose, man, you know what? I know that in this moment, it might not look like, but I know that Christ is working inside of me. Because in and of myself, I wouldn't have cared whether or not I was angry cleaning. But it's Christ working inside of me that he checks me in that moment to say, Matt, I gave you this opportunity to love the people around you. Are you going to love them? And it's in that moment that, yeah, it might not look like, but on the inside, can I tell you, the DNA is working. Can I tell you today that you might be struggling with an addiction. You might be struggling with sin. You might be struggling with selfishness or with bitterness. There might be some pain in your life that you haven't worked through. But can I tell you, keep pressing forward because maybe it doesn't look like on the outside, but on the inside, you're undergoing a metamorphosis that can only happen through the power of Jesus Christ. Keep pressing forward. I want to remember and remind you that if that's you today, that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says this, he has rescued us. Somebody say rescued us. He's already done it. That's what I want us to remember today, that if you're living into this, he's already rescued you. And so you get to obey out of response of saying, thank you for what you've done. He's already rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not in you, not in your good works, not in the good deeds that you've done, but in him. And when it's recognizing that it's in him that now we get to live in that new way. Yeah, it might not look like on the outside, but on the inside, there's the DNA of Jesus molding us and shaping us to look more like his son. Maybe today that's you. Maybe today you feel like you're a little bit more like the bird. That maybe on the outside it looks like, but on the inside, maybe it's not so much. That you've shown up to church. That maybe you've said the right things. That maybe as you're reading through this passage and you're looking at these virtues and you're realizing, man, maybe some of those things aren't quite matching up. One of the things in my own life that I've asked God over and over again is how can people come to church year after year after year and still not look more like Jesus? And I think sometimes it's because, yeah, maybe it seems like we're in the right location, but on the inside, maybe we're not in the right place. And if that's you today, then I want to encourage you in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, it says this. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. The key is not to try to all of a sudden try to live into something you're not. It's living into something you are by receiving Jesus. That Christianity is an understanding that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, and rose again three days later from the grave so that now those who trust and believe in him can be, can live in a new way. but it starts with the relationship with Jesus. Maybe some of us today need to make that relationship with Jesus. And it's not simply a prayer, though a prayer is a good start. It's it's a new lifestyle to say, I'm going to take the leap to living in a new relationship with Jesus that 100% 
is his. And I'm going to walk by faith by giving everything to him. Or maybe today you've been living in your faith and you kind of relate with the sequoia, that there are some things that God is doing underneath the surface and you're growing into a greater sense of maturity and you're understanding more of how God has created you to live. I want to encourage you with this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if Indeed, you remain grounded and steadfast. I want to tell you, don't be shifted, but be steadfast. To continue day after day to say yes to what God is doing in you and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to build you up so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. Can I tell you, the real question of whether or not you're actually growing in maturity is are you bearing fruit? Are there people around you who are growing up? Are there people around you who are maturing in their faith because they're understanding more of what it means to follow Jesus because they're following you? Maybe today, where are you following in that process? You see, the final part of this passage says this. It says, and whatever you do, somebody say whatever. Whatever. Hey, don't talk to me like that. (laughs) And whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The beautiful thing is that when we begin to live in this new way, when we are renewed in obedience, because obedience because of what he has done, now we can do everything as unto God. That means when you're at your workplace and you're answering an email, that you could do that saying, yes, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. It means that when you're cleaning, that you have an opportunity to say, God, thank you for letting me clean today. It means that when you're going on a walk and you see a beautiful sunset outside or when you see this beautiful weather that God has given us today, that you're doing it in thanksgiving, that whatever you're doing, we get to come before God and say, God, thank you. And really thanksgiving is over is out of an overflow of us recognizing what he's already done. And so in every moment to say, man, I can put on compassion. I can put on kindness. I can put on gentleness. I can put on humility because I recognize that God has been so good to me. And because he's been so good to me now in whatever I do, I can give thanks. So here's what I would love for us to do. Just go ahead and in in your own kind of moment, I would love for you to take a moment in your seat to go ahead and close your eyes. And to just think to yourself, as you hear those different types of metamorphosis, those different types of change, that maybe today you're showing up and and maybe you got a little discouraged, that you're saying, man, I know that I made the decision, but it doesn't seem like I'm seeing the change. Maybe you are, but it doesn't seem like. I want to encourage you, keep pressing forward as a child of God, as God's chosen and beloved one. Maybe today you showed up and maybe in this moment you're realizing, man, you know what? I'm not quite living that life. And maybe the reason I'm not quite living that life is because I haven't quite given my life to Christ yet. Or maybe I gave it to him at one point and now I started to take it back. And I said, God, you know what? I gave that to you in my lowest moment, but I took it back in my best moment. And now I'm kind of going back down and I'm saying, God, I'm realizing I need to give everything to you today. Maybe that's the choice God is giving you today. Or maybe today you're somebody who's growing. And you're looking and you're living and it's in that moment that God is calling you to your next to say, start to bear fruit. How can you serve the people around you? How can you allow this body of believer to be built up in Christ? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment 
And as you're in your own seat, we're going to start to sing this song. And as we sing this song and it starts to resonate with you, you can stand. But we're just going to take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives.